I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Gold is in the headlines once again, but is it an insurance against disaster or a volatile fringe asset? Gilts are up. Does this mean recovery is on the way? And if banks are right that cash is on its way out, what is going to take its place? I'm Elaine Moore, and in Jonathan Ely's absence, I'll be giving you all the money news in downloadable form this week with the help of my FT colleagues, Joe Cumbo. Hello. Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. And our special studio guest, Brian Dennehy of Fund Expert. Hello. First up, gilts. UK government bond yields have jumped up to levels not seen since the summer of 2011, which has led some commentators to wonder whether we are now heading along the path to economic recovery. While this is good news for everyone, there's one group of people in particular who will be celebrating the increase straight away. Rising gilt yields mean that pensioners who use income drawdown can take more from their savings. Standard Life estimates that a 60-year-old who takes drawdown now will get a 15% boost compared to someone of the same age taking drawdown last December. Joe Cumbo, our resident pensions expert, has been looking into the implications of rising gilt yields. Joe, first of all, can you give all of us a little bit of a primer on gilts and what they're doing right now. Well, gilts are bonds issued by the government to raise money with the term originating in Britain and refers to debt securities that had a gilt or gilded edge. Now, the income from uh, government bonds is called the yield and and we refer to it as the gilt yield. And what the uh, government bond or gilt guarantees to do is to pay the holder a fixed cash payment or coupon in bond jargon every six months until the bond matures, at which point the holder receives the final coupon payment and gets their original investment back. Now, anyone can buy gilts and pension funds are by far the biggest buyers as they need payments when people retire. And But they can also be bought by individuals who are looking for a steady income or as part of a balanced uh, investment portfolio. But what's happened over the past four years is that gilt yields, which is the income, have dropped as their prices soared in response to the Bank of England's quantitative easing program, uh, which has really resulted uh, in money being injected into the economy by the bank buying government bonds. And what this has done is distorted the market and sent bond prices higher, 
but the yields lower. And what this has mean is basically bad news for anyone relying on the income from gilt as the yields have fallen to historical lows. That is a fantastic little economic primer there. Thank you very much for that. So if we're talking about gilt yields, who exactly is affected by the movement of yields? Essentially, the biggest uh, losers uh, when gilt yields fall are people who are relying on income such as annuitants or looking to buy an annuity because pension or insurance companies use government bonds to back these products. So what happens when the yield on, on, on these assets falls, that means they will offer less to an individual looking to buy an annuity so they'll get less income. So on on the other side, on the flip side, when gilt yields are rising and individuals uh, and the company can expect to get more from those assets, they can offer more or theoretically they should offer more in terms of annuity rates for that income. So can you explain to me about this estimate that Standard Life has come up with? This seems like a a dramatic increase in a very short amount of time. If they're saying that a 60-year-old man will get a 15% boost compared to someone of the same age taking drawdown last December. So this is, you know, like half a year, but a 15% change. Why is that happening? Okay. The most popular way to take a retirement income is an annuity. But if people want to look beyond an annuity, they can look at income drawdown, which is where your funds are kept invested in the stock market and not turned into secure income in the form of annuity. Now, the government um, can't, doesn't just let you take as much as you want, not everybody at least, from this fund. Your income limits are set by the government. And one of the factors used to set these limits is gilt yields. When gilt yields fall, your income limits fall. When they rise, you can take more from your a pot, your cap drawdown pot each year. So what's happened as since May, we've seen an increase in the gilt yield and that has reflected in improving income limits for anyone moving into drawdown. A 65-year-old, for example, with a 100,000 fund moving into drawdown in September when the gilt yield will be 3%, the gilt yield used to reference income drawdown limits, could get about 7,000 and eighty pounds a year. That's the income limit. Now, had they done this three um, in May, for example, when the gilt yield was two point two five percent, the income limits would have only been six thousand six hundred. So, just over that couple of months, the income limits have increased by more than four hundred pounds. So, that just shows you how the gilt yield and the movements and positive movements in the economy or in the market can actually have a positive and negative impact on pension income. Thank you so much, Joe. You can read more about the impact of rising gilt yields, what it means for you in terms of your pension, in this weekend's FT Money or online at www.ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, are contactless payments replacing cash? But first, gold. Did you know that London is the centre of the world's gold market? Beneath the city streets lies an estimated 10,000 tonnes of the metal held in vaults. But since the start of this year, prices have fallen by 26%, and in recent weeks, some of the most famous hedge fund managers in the world have been cutting or reducing their positions in the precious metal. Gold is one of those investments that never fails to elicit strong opinions from investors. For some, it is an asset that holds its value when everything else collapses. To others, it is simply speculation. 
Brian Dennehy is here to talk about whether or not gold should have a place in every investor's portfolio. Brian, why does gold create such strong feelings? Well, there's a marvellous book by a guy called Peter Bernstein, which I'd recommend to anyone who's got an interest in gold, called The Power of Gold. And it's all about the history of gold and the gold price. And it's basically a history of obsession and greed. And it brings out the worst in an awful lot of people, I'm afraid. Um, but I mean, some of the things which people call gold at the moment, for example, it's worth going through those and then think, talking about what the price has been doing. It's often called a safe haven. Well, actually, most of the time when prices and other risk assets have fallen in the last few years gold has fallen as well it's uh, sometimes called insurance but it's not insurance by any sensible definition uh, it's sometimes called an inflation hedge uh, it has been occasionally but it's very unreliable in that regard it's often called money it's not money you can't buy anything with it in marks and spencers it's sometimes called a hedge against deflation there's limited evidence for that the jury's out it's also called um, insurance again but against apocalypse it's the one thing which will survive well if you think there is going to be some kind of financial apocalypse and that's been behind a lot of the excitement over gold um, over the last few years post Lehman's in particular then my recommendation would be that you should grow your own food invest in two goats and buy a gun um, however for those who did want to buy gold um Probably the best way to do it, if you really insist, is buying gold coins regularly. Forget about what price you're buying it at and just tuck them away somewhere. Buy coins because in some cases they're legal tender and and also because uh, you might have a chance of using them um, uh, if there was the apocalypse, unlike a big chunk of gold, which you probably wouldn't be able to lift, let alone take to the shops. Brian, I feel like you have gone through the list of every positive uh, attribute of gold and shot it down. So can you explain to me why then is it so popular? And because the prices have done some extraordinary things, haven't they, since the since the collapse of Lehman Brothers, since the start of the financial crisis? Yeah, it's, it's, it's worth having a, a sort of a longer view at the price and then, and then a shorter view too. Um, basically, for, through the 1980s and 1990s, the gold price was appalling. It was an appalling investment. By the beginning of the last decade, the beginning of the century, um, the gold price was around uh, $200 or so, um, at which point Chinese demand and the Chinese economy began to pick up, as did demand for both gold and, and commodities generally. Let's not forget that. Gold has gone up with commodities generally since that period. It then began to go up with commodities generally because there was sort of sensible investor demand as well as some industrial demand. Um, and then the momentum players started getting on board, people like George Soros, for example. And then by the time we got to 2007, 2008 and onwards, there was almost hysterical demand for it as a result of all the debt that was being taken on and the uh, people believing that it was the end of the world and there was going to be some kind of financial apocalypse. Um, and that's the bit which brings out the worst in gold. It is, as Peter Bernstein says in his book, it is a history really of obsession and greed and, and, and people really need to get over it. Um, what happened was then the gold price, as, as often happens with any asset which, which gets overpriced, in 2011 it went up almost in a straight line. We said at the time we think the, the, you know, that there's a peak nearby, not because we have any magical powers, but rather because we'd seen that with lots of different asset prices over the last 30 years. They do more or less exactly the same thing once all the punters get on board and drive it to ridiculous levels. The price since 2011 has fallen about 30%. Um, and um, some people are now arguing that you should be buying gold. Our view is if you want to buy gold at all right now, what you buy is 
um, is gold mining shares actually because they've been absolutely battered. So this is uh, this is a, an, another way into gold. So that you have gold coins, you have. Uh, jewellery, all these other sorts of things. But you're suggesting gold miners. Why would that be? Yeah, well, I think when I mentioned the gold coins earlier, the gold coins is for people who really want to just tuck money away for a very long period. Forget about the price. price. Don't think about it as investment. And it's that kind of apocalypse insurance type thing, if you really insist. Uh, Gold miners now is all about they've been very badly beaten up, much, much more so than the gold price itself. Um, uh, some people would say they're down at levels which were last seen on some criteria in in, in the 1980s. Um, a lot of the fund managers we speak to, I speak to them regularly, tell me that they still can't see any catalyst for gold miners actually picking up um, really strongly. They've picked up a bit in recent weeks, but that's I think that's more of a dead cat bounce. So the great way to get into the gold mining shares right now is you drip feed in every month. Uh, you, you hope the price actually stays down, perhaps even goes lower for a number of years, perhaps. And when it eventually explodes upwards, when the price of the gold miners explode upwards, and they will one day, we just don't know when, um, you will make a lot of money. But you need patience and you need cash flow to do that. Thank you so much, Brian. You can read Jonathan Ely's cover piece on gold in this weekend's FT Money or via the FT's tablet apps on Kindle and online at ft.com forward slash money. And if you have any thoughts on gold, and I'm sure that you do, please let us know. You can email us at money at ft.com. And finally today, cash versus contactless. According to the Payments Council, which was set up to monitor payments, so should know about these things, the number of cash payments made by consumers will fall from 21 billion now to around 14 billion by 2022. In place of cash will, apparently, come contactless payments. Even small payments made to family and friends or at the local shop will in future be made by sending a text or swiping a card or a phone against a reader. But while contactless readers are becoming more common across shops in the UK, cash isn't losing its popularity so far. In fact, cash withdrawals from ATMs rose slightly in the last year. Lucy Warwick-Ching is here to help us work out exactly how we're all going to be paying our way in the future. Lucy, what exactly are the Payments Council saying and why are they putting these predictions out there? I think there's been a lot of interest in this area. You know, there's been lots of innovation. Lots of the retail banks have been updating their systems, allowing people to make more payments using mobile phones. In the UK, we've been very set on using cash and cards. But say in other countries, say over in Africa, some people don't necessarily have the bank account, so they will make a lot more payments just using mobile phones. So I think there's lots of innovation, lots of change, and people are interested in what's happening in this area. And do you believe the Payments Council? Do you think their predictions are going to come true in the future? Yes, I think so. I mean, to a certain extent, no one really knows how people are going to be spending their money in the future. But I do think from my own experience, from people I speak to, everyone is definitely using their cards a lot more. And you mentioned these contactless payments and things like that. So I know from my own experience, again, I really like these contactless payments. I know there's concerns about them, but I do find it much easier to pay for things by just tapping my card and and using it in that way. So I personally like the use of card. I don't like having a lot of cash. You know, I don't feel safe carrying around a lot of cash. So I just like having my card. And there's always a lot of stories about how there's certain countries in Africa where contactless or sending money by text is already completely swept across the whole country. Why are we far behind in the UK? 
Well, I think there's a few different reasons, actually. Some people are very worried about the security issues linked to that. So, I mean, the way uh, these mobile payments work is that quite often you just need a phone number and then you're able to do account-to-account transfers just with a phone number. So I think some people in the UK are a little bit set in their ways, but, you know, probably quite rightly so. And they're worried that um, these very simple payment systems will actually mean that fraud increases. So people are a little bit wary about adopting them. Now, uh, just to be cynical about this, do the banks want us to start using different forms of payment? I know that they have talked for a long time about the fact that cheques are going out and cheques are very expensive for banks to process and they would much prefer if we would all just start using contactless payment and our credit cards and debit cards. Do you feel like, are we going to be pushed by the banks to stop using uh, cash or is it going to be left up to us? I think, yes, the banks have um, quite a a big say in what we do and um, lots of them because they're innovating bringing new systems I think there's also the issue of loyalty so if some banks have a much easier payment system um, they make it very easy for you then you're probably going to talk about that with your friends and then you may all switch to that bank as well and I think with some of these systems it's much cheaper for them to for you to do that so obviously they will be encouraging you to do that. And you do you feel the safety concerns or do you think that the banks have that under control? Personally, I think that they, they're going in the right direction. There's obviously been a few failures in the last few years. I'm, I'm a NatWest customer, so I've had um, experienced some of the problems. But I think um, we do need to innovate and we do need to move forward. So I think all these um, new technology and, and innovations are the right way forward. Thank you very much, Lucy. Lucy has been looking into the future of payments and the wider advances in technology in the financial services sector. And you can read more about that in next weekend's FT Money. That's all we have time for this week. But you can read all of these stories and more in this week's FT Money section or online at ft.com forward slash money. And if you'd like to tell us your views on gold, gilts or cash or anything else, or if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, then just email us money at ft.com. Until next week, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Lucy, Joe and our special studio guest, Brian Dennehy of fundexpert.co.uk. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.